0: I, uh, I just want you to kind of time travel with me a little bit. We're going to go back 2,000 years to where the disciples would have been now, the week after Easter, after the hype of the resurrection. And it was at that moment that everything officially began for them, where they had 40 days with Jesus, where after the resurrection, it was time to say, game on, the devil's going down. And so their work began and Jesus appeared to a couple hundred hundred of different people and then he gave the great commission to the disciples and to the apostles and to the followers to go and make disciples of all nations, many nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and equip them with the good news of the gospel. And so after... The resurrection, at the height of the resurrection, they went and they served and they planted churches in Asia and in Africa and throughout uh, Rome and all of these different places and house churches. They were very different than our churches today. They were house churches. And so you had small groups of people of 20 people in most places throughout Rome where it was very lethal to be a Christian, where the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Roman emperor would literally put a bounty on your head. Uh, for you to be, um, what they would do with the early church is they would uh, tie you up to a wooden stake and then burn you alive. So Merry Christmas, okay? And so you've got that situation, and the early church continued to thrive and continued to grow, and then as they expanded, and as they expanded even more and more, and then Jesus, um, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they started to have their spiritual gifts, and they went out and about planting church after church after church. But the work was started. And it is because of the work of those of our past that we are able to do that which we do today. And so I wanted to, want to start out that way, to invite us into this space, because a lot of times, the week after the resurrection, um, especially for church members and staff people and volunteers, it's kind of like a... Whew, It is a breath of fresh air because there's so much that goes into an Easter service. But um, we were talking at staff meeting this last week. I think it was Barb who said, we need to treat every Sunday like it's Easter Sunday. In fact, we need to treat every day like it's Easter. Because the work is still starting. And there's still people who are searching for hope and for people who are uh, looking to be healed. And so I just want to invite you into this space today. Don't just treat this like any other day, treat this like Easter Sunday, where it's a really cool time to be alive. And we have access to people literally at the touch of our fingertips through social media, where we're able to impact and influence and inspire individuals to love and look like Jesus. Well, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge Community Church. If it's your first time visiting, my name is Jordan I am the online pastor and teaching pastor here at C3, and if you're here in person or if you're watching with us online, let us know, and I'd love to connect with you uh, either out in the lobby or through Facebook and YouTube as well. But uh, really excited that you are here, really love what I get to do and be a part of this church and the body, and there are so many other churches, there's thousands and thousands of other churches and pastors meeting right now at that exact hour that you know, I just want to lift up and want to pray for because we're one body, one community all chasing after the same God. And it's really cool to be a part of when you think of that there are literally millions of other people throughout the world worshiping and learning at this exact same moment. But it's been a really cool weekend. C3 sports soccer kicked off yesterday. We've had 80 degree weather. But I also know that there are people here who are hurting, who received different diagnosis this week, who are grieving, who are struggling with mental health, who are struggling financially. So wherever you come in today or wherever you log on today, I just want you to know that you're safe here, you're welcomed here, and we're glad you're here. Uh, But I have the privilege today of kicking off a brand new series. Four weeks we're going to be spending a series called Make Space. Make Space. And it is actually a Margin 2.0 series. If you remember, uh, if you were here with us a couple of months ago, we walked through a series called Margin, where we looked at different areas in our life that it is so important and so crucial for us to create margin in our life so that we can be the healthiest versions of ourselves spiritually, emotionally, rationally, uh, relationally, uh, physically, and mentally um, as we are walking and journeying. And so Trevor kicked off that series talking about creating margin in our busyness, in our schedules, in our loneliness, and talked about the importance of rest. And then Brad and Bruce talked about the importance of friendships and genuine relationships. And then uh, my mother and I, our next steps pastor, Kim and I, talked about uh, relationships a little bit further with family and with creating space just kind of in our whole everyday day to life and then provided next steps on how to do that on how to schedule out your time, on how to be intentional about margin. And so this series, is we're going to treat it kind of like a margin 2.0. And so if you missed margin 1.0, hashtag ad, go to Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or Facebook, and you can watch all of the messages at just a touch of a button, hashtag. And so you've got that down the road. This is margin 2.0, okay? We're going to be spending four weeks talking about money. Woo! Woo. (laughs) And so if it's your first time visiting, I apologize. The series after Easter that Brad chose was a money series. And uh, I drew the short end of the stick, pun intended, where I uh, am teaching to kick off the series week number one. But I want to let you know that I want to be very sensitive about this topic. Because there are, very, there are actually a few topics that are kind of considered as taboo topics in the church. So the church is just either not going to talk about, going to avoid, going to mishandle, or as they talk about it, it's going to be very cringeworthy. And so I just want to be sensitive because I recognize that the church, um, the universal church, Christians, pastors have not handled money talks very well. And I apologize for that. Um, Actually, there's been a a really rich and destructive history of how the church has mishandled money, and it's gone back hundreds and hundreds of years. But it didn't always used to be that way. The church used to be a really beautiful thing where the first, uh, you know, really 400 years, even into Constantine's uh, rule of Rome and where he... You know, made Christianity the religion of choice and said, this is what we are following up into about 315, 330 AD, I believe, when he kind of uh, declared that. But before then, the first 300 years, the church supported the church. And so like I said, you would have house churches or small communities and people, groups of people who they would finance each other. They would finance one another and even send aid and food and resources and money to other communities and other church bodies because the church supported the church. And it was a really cool and powerful and beautiful thing. And then hundreds of years later, churches decided to take advantage of that. And so different church bodies began selling salvation so would like you say, hey, you know, your family member, they didn't do too hot. Okay, they're in purgatory right now, or they might be going to hell. You can pay us $399 for twelve months in a row and you can buy your salvation. Believe, it, you know, look it up. This happened. The church did this. Okay? And you could buy your salvation or you could pay a fee to help people of the past. Well, Martin Luther realized how destruct- destructive and toxic this was. And so he took his hammer and he, when he nailed the 95 theses on the wall okay, for everyone to see, were 95 different things, different things and issues he had with the church, where he called out the church's mishandling of these different situations. And that kind of began a long, long history then of distrust for the church, for pastors, for Christians when it comes to wealth and when it comes to money. So I just want to be sensitive about that because I recognize that this has been mishandled, and we've seen churches, you know, spend money in inappropriate ways. We've seen pastors. We've seen Christians. And so when we talk about money, it's one of those things that I want us to recognize that the church hasn't always gotten it right. But when the church has gotten it right, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, really incredible. And so for this series, we're gonna be spending four weeks talking mostly about managing our finances. It's not gonna be a a generosity and a giving series, though there's gonna be pieces of that because as you talk about money and as you talk about sacrifice and as you talk about saving and investing and managing finances, it's really important that you talk about generosity, okay? Because that's what God calls us to be, sacrificial human beings. That is a part of the Christian walk but it's not gonna be a generosity series, okay? It's gonna be a money management series where we're gonna look and spend four weeks on how we as humans can better manage our finances. And whether you are Gen Z or younger, or Boomer and Retired, um, wherever you kind of fall in between, or maybe on the outside of those generations looking in, uh, this series is important because it's you're never too young to learn or you're never too old to start managing your finances well. And this is why it's so important that we make space and margin in that which we have. Okay, uh, in 2021, 40% of marriages that ended in divorce listed money, stress, and struggles as a major reason. 40% of marriages that ended in divorce in 2021 ended because of a major reason being money, stress, and struggles. A third of Americans who are making $50,000 a year or less don't have enough money saved to cover one month of basic needs. And so if they were to lose their job and be without a job for a month, they wouldn't have one month of basic needs covered. And then on top of that, you've got uh, different generations, uh, a third of Americans uh, with 50,000 or less. Um, But then you've got the boomers who are considered the wealthiest generation, holding 53% of the entire wealth of America, and the other generations combining for 47%. And then you've got millennials who are considered the worst at money management. And part of that is because of the push for college tuition and the push for college in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And then the student debt went up while the income levels stayed where they were. And same with the housing market and different things and fluctuating and inflation and all that. And so part of that is, you know, a, you know, a result, or would was result in the millennials being really terrible, us being really terrible at managing money. But I would also argue that another reason why my generation is so bad at managing finances is because we struggle with discipline. Let's just say it blunt. We struggle with discipline. But what we're finding is the next generation, Gen Z, is actually better at managing money than millennials. And there's been even studies to show they're better at managing money than boomers are too, which is fascinating And so it won't take long, they're saying, that Gen Z is going to pass millennials in their wealth gap, which doesn't take much, but they're saying that's the, there is hope younger generations are learning these concepts, and that's really cool. But then on top of all of that, there's also studies that uh, 2021 Pew Research said that single individuals are worse at managing money than married couples. And so this is an issue that married couples struggle with, 40% end in divorce, at that end in divorce, quote, money struggles. Single individuals struggle with money management. Millennials struggle with money management. And then um, you've got the different wealth gap and disparities. And a lot of the boomer generation is feeling like all of the weight is being placed on them to kind of carry the team for generosity and for serving and getting frustrated. In that. And so all that to say, this is a sensitive topic. There's a lot going on. And I want to just breathe throughout this series. Because it can be really cool to talk about money in a healthy way and what does it look like for us to spend smarter, save more intentionally, and give more generously. All right, here are the two kind of key takeaways for today's message. The first one is this. We have to get to an understanding that every single thing that we own is not ours. Everything we own belongs to God, okay? And that, that comes with, you know, if you're going to live a life of godliness and of Christlikeness, then you have to come to terms with this number one point. This isn't like a, you know, an either or or a both and. It is every dollar you have, everything you own is God's, okay? Not the church's, okay, is God's. And when we come to terms with this single idea, then, and we let go a little bit of that control, then being generous comes more freeing, more freely, comes easier, okay? Or I, I, let me say this. It doesn't necessarily come easier because uh, you know, generosity is a struggle just kind of in general, but I would say it becomes more exciting is that you get excited because you have the money now to bless others and to give away. But when you understand that God is control of that which you own, it will be revolutionary for your finances. And here's the reality um, whether you are making under $30,000 or you're making over $100,000 or $200,000, okay, wherever you find yourself, okay, um, it's so important that we get this idea right. And we don't look down on other people for that which they make. Okay? We don't look down on those who are struggling in poverty, and we don't look down on those who seem to be wealthy and well-off. Okay? Because we have to recognize that everything we have is God's anyway. And everything they have is God's anyway. Okay? That's going to kind of be the overarching theme for the series. Second point, though. Okay? And this is specific to today's message. God calls us individually to manage our finances well. Okay? Money is talked about all throughout the Bible in different ways. And so is money management. Because, as you've heard it said before in different various points, is that money can be the root of all evil. And this is why it's so important that we get this right, whether we're Gen Z or silent generation and boomer, okay? And everyone in between is because if you idolize your wealth, if you idolize your wealth, it will lead to destruction and it will not lead to God, okay? Verses that say, you know what? You have to choose one master. You can't serve both money and God. You can't idolize both money and idolize God, okay? And so it's so important that we understand that truth as we're wrestling and as we're walking and as we are struggling. God calls us to manage our finances well, and it's so important. It is so important. All right, now let's see some smiles in there. Everyone's a little bored. I get it. We're talking about money, okay? But this could be so important for us. Here's what we're going to do today. We are going to walk through Genesis chapter 41. Not a very common money passage, but it is a very, it's an excellent um, management passage of where we see the life of Joseph uh, who walks through and who managed uh, Egypt's kind of um, resources to set them up for success down the road. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. I'll be reading from the NIV today. And then after that, we're going to go through three takeaways from the story Excuse me, and then one next step, okay? One basic next step that I want to see everybody participate in. It's going to be really cool. Um, But as we recap the story, Genesis 41, I'll be in 46, uh, reading through 57 in a second. But I want to recap this story uh, because I don't have the time to be able to walk through every single verse. But kind of very quickly, what's going on? Joseph was sold into Egyptian slavery by his brothers, They had some family issues. Joseph was looked at as the the man of the house. His father loved him. um, Mother loved him. And so his brothers sold him into slavery. So what do we learn? If you're loved by your siblings, they're the enemy, okay? And so uh, he was sold into slavery. Very quickly, he worked his way up in power. So much so uh, that the wife of Potiphar thought he was pretty attractive, wanted to sleep with them. He says, no, no. She lies about some harassment, and he ends up being falsely accused and goes to prison for a long, long time. While he's in prison, he gets a reputation of being a dream teller, a dream interpreter. And so different prisoners are sharing their dreams with him. Um, Long story short, the prisoners end up being released. Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, ends up having the same dream where he sees seven fat cows, and he sees seven skinny cows. And then he sees seven uh, very abundant and very uh, broad and big stocks of grain, and he sees seven very skinny stocks of grain. And so I'm the skinny stock of grain, and Brad is the abundant stock of grain, just to put it (laughs) into perspective. And so I'm sorry, Brad, that wasn't a first service joke. So some he might be sleeping up there just to see if I'm keeping him awake. And so then when Pharaoh finds out about the dream interpreter, he brings Joseph out of prison to talk to about his dreams and he shares these dreams. And uh, what's so fascinating is the cupbearer who ended up um, leaving prison had his dreams told in prison by Joseph and he left prison with another guy. And so he's the one who tells Pharaoh about these dreams. And he says, hey, Pharaoh, my dream came true where I came out of prison and I'm alive. The other guy, his dream also came true, but he's dead. And so like, that's kind of, this whole situation is really messed up when you think about it. But Pharaoh says, you know what, bring Joseph out. He ends up interpreting the dreams and telling Pharaoh this, okay? Pharaoh, God is about to bless Egypt abundantly for the next seven years, And they're going to be prosperous, and you're going to be able to um, experience a lot of growth in these seven years. Well, then following that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And so he tells Pharaoh, you need to find somebody who is going to manage your resources well for the first seven years so that when the time of famine comes, you are prepared to take it on. Pharaoh says, Joseph, you are promoted. He goes from prison to power, and he eventually becomes second in command over all of Egypt. And that is where our story picks up. Verse 46, this is what Genesis writes. Verse 46, Jesus, or jo, Jesus, Joseph was 30 years old. You remember earlier when I said millennials were bad with money? You got Joseph is 30 years old. So let's learn from a millennial. When he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food, produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of Om. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering." The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Verse 56, when the famine had spread over the whole country... Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for these words. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Genesis. Thank you for Moses uh, who recorded these words and thank you for Joseph who lived these words. God, thank you that he was someone who was wise in his management. Help us to learn a thing or two from his life. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, I titled the message today, Freedom and Fruitfulness. Freedom and Fruitfulness. And we'll see why here in a second. But I want to walk through three takeaways. Okay, three takeaways from this story. Things we can learn about for our culture, money management. First takeaway is this, okay. Joseph traveled, he collected, and he stored that which he was walking around with Egypt. And so to make it kind of a modern-day example, it's encouraging us that we have to work, we have to earn, and then save, okay? He traveled, he worked, okay? He collected, he earned, and he stored, he saved. It was part of his strategy for saying, you know what? These seven years, I'm going to work, I'm going to earn, I'm going to save. It's going to be kind of like, you know, as you're working towards retirement. You have this time period that you have to work, you have to earn, and you have to save, planning for the future, planning and preparing for what is coming. So that when what is coming comes, you aren't taken aback by it. Okay? And so what I love about this this situation is Joseph goes up to Pharaoh. He says, hey, we're going to travel. Okay? I'm going to work. I'm going to be the hands and feet of this operation. And we are going to collect one-fifth of that which we are growing currently. One-fifth is what he tells Pharaoh. That's all we'll need to store away for later. And so that's what he does. And so in the first seven years, he collects, or he travels, he collects, and he stores. And it's the same message that we need to be telling ourselves for today, is that as we are working, whether we're young, whether we are, uh, you know, in our millennial age, whether we're a little bit older, whatever it might be, what would it look like for us to travel, collect, and store so that we can continue treating things, um, rather than being surprised by situations, we're prepared for situations. And then we're able to bless others when situations arise for them, Okay? Takeaway number two, Joseph or Egypt arrived at a place of security not by producing more, but by managing better. And this was, you know, mind-blowing for me when I was reading through this passage today, and God placed this on my heart, is Joseph doesn't go up to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, we just need to produce twice as much these seven years so that we can put away for the second seven years, okay? And it leads me to think a lot of us will say, you know what? If we just had more money, we'd have less problems. Some of you know where this is going. More money equals more problems, okay? And that's so important for us to understand is uh, Brad and Bruce and I, we were talking this last week um, at Panda on Friday, believe it or not, and Brad said, you can be broke at any level of income, okay? Now, here's something I want to be sensitive towards, okay? There are people living in poverty, Okay? where more money would help relieve some of the stress and anxiety. That's inevitable, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. The the thing I want you to be, I wanna be very clear on here is, I'm not saying don't strive to make more. What I'm saying is focus on managing more versus trying to make more, okay? Because no matter what you make, if you are a bad manager, you're going to fail. And this was a podcast I was actually listening to this week Um, it's the Pat McAfee podcast, so it might lose its credibility for some of you non-Colts fans. But he was interviewing uh, some NFL stars and he was saying, yeah, back in the 80s and 90s, 80% of professional athletes went broke. And that data is very accurate to that of today. And Pat McAfee said, yeah, my first contract with the Colts, I had a $550,000 sign on bonus, and I spent it all in the first year. He said if he didn't receive a second contract from the Colts, he would have been broke. And some of us are thinking, well, just don't be a dummy with your money, okay? But then we get into some of those similar situations, and if we don't have management tools to help us navigate finances, it doesn't matter what level of income we make, whether we are living in poverty or whether we are very well off and wealthy. If you don't manage your finances well, it doesn't matter how much more you have you're going to be struggling. And so I love Joseph. He says, hey, Pharaoh, we don't need to produce more. We need to just manage better. We need to just take that which we already have for seven years and store it away so that we can invest better, so we can save better, so we can spend smarter. Okay? Remember those three points okay, at the very beginning that I shared. Today's goal of the message and really this series is we want to learn how to spend smarter, save more intentionally, and give more generously, okay? Third and final takeaway for today, and, and I love this, managing well leads to freedom and fruit. And I thought this was so cool. If you remember in Joseph, uh, in his story, it's uh, verses 51 and 52. 51 and 52, he has these two firstborn sons. Uh, he has a, or he has a firstborn son, and then he has a secondborn son, okay? And the firstborn son, he names uh, Manasseh, And he said, because God has made me forget the burdens of my past. And when I read that, that made me think of freedom. Where he's literally experiencing this abundance, and he's experiencing freedom from his abundance. And then the second son he names Ephraim, and he said, it's because God has reminded me of the fruitfulness of my labor. And that's what God wants for us today, too. Is he wants us to experience freedom and fruitfulness in our labor and from our labor and how important and how exciting it can be for us to say, you know what, I'm gonna set my life up in a way so that I can bless others, so that I can be generous, so that I can splurge every once in a while. Here's how I wanna kind of close today and then go into our next step. Okay, like I said, there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with having nice things, okay? I love nice things. I dress nice one, one day a week, okay, and it's Sunday, and in fact, I don't dress myself. My wife does, okay? The other six days you see me, I'll be wearing basketball shorts from Goodwill and a T-shirt that doesn't match. And Brad laughs every time I walk through the door, okay? Because I just, I just don't care about fashion, but one day a week, okay? But this outfit, it's from Target and from Nike Outlet. So like, this is a very cheap outfit. And I just like looking nice, okay? One day a week. Some people, though, you know, they like to look a little frou-frou like every day of the week, okay? And that's okay. That's just not me. It's not where I spend my money. I spend my money on three things, okay? Chipotle, <laughs> Panda, and Michigan Wolverines, yeah. okay? That's where I like to find my thing. See, after Sunday, every Sunday is Mercer and is kind of like, you know, restaurant meal. So we go to Chipotle because we're not, we're not as low as the Taco Bell people. We go to Chipotle, okay? So every Sunday we eat at Chipotle, I have to do on-brand Doritos. Aldi Doritos don't hit the same, okay? I have to do on-brand Pop-Tarts. Off-brand Pop-Tarts, also known as pop toots are not the same, okay? Some people don't care about those things, but they like nice houses. I don't care about a nice house. Mercy, I live in a pretty low-income area with a low-income house. Some people love nice cars, Merced cars are 11 years old. One of them has 200,000 miles on it. We've never taken out a loan for a car because we've always bought old used cars. Some people love to travel on nice vacations. I go to Michigan, okay? And so, like, and, and we know nothing good comes out of Michigan. And so you've got all of these different situations, and the problem happens is when we start comparing different lifestyles, okay, to different things, Okay. It's not about you can't have nice things, and it's not about you can't strive to make more money and to be better off, all right? It's all about that which you have manage better. Don't take your paycheck and splurge 100% of the time. Marissa and I, back in the day, our first year of marriage, we made $17,000, and our only uh, bill that our parents paid for was our cell phone bill. Everything else, insurance, car insurance, student loans, uh, restaurant, um, you know, resource, uh, groceries, all of that, we paid for. Rent, mortgage, um, utilities, we paid for, and we made it work. We had to sacrifice a ton, and we lived off of Tostitos and pe- frozen pizzas. That's what we did. Our grocery budget, we had tw- like twenty dollars a week. We just bought like five frozen pizzas in every meal, because that's what we were able to afford. And then our thirty-year marriage, we were up to about thirty thousand. Okay, we've lived off. 17,000, and we've lived off 50,000, okay? And we've made it a point to manage all that we have each year, no matter what we're making. But when this kind of became, like, really important for, for me as a Christ follower, it's back in 2019, I was reading a book, and uh, it was talking about sacrifice. And I, it was saying, if you spend more on eating out than you do on giving back to God then you have an issue in your idolatry and with your wealth. And I never thought about it, because eating out, to me, like, it's one of those past things that we're just like, hey, we don't have time to cook tonight, so we're just gonna go, like, you know, run through Chipotle or, you know, Taco Bell. And so you got that situation where some people, um, you know, will, like, just kind of, me included, will be like, man, how many times did we eat out this week? Well, we went to Panda four times. Yeah, that was an issue, And so I went online, and uh, Miss Barbara, if you'll put this hashtag not an ad on the screen, this right here is my favorite app, okay? And this is your one next step for the week with this message. This right here is called the Truebill app. It is 100% free to download for um, all of your your smart devices, okay? And 95% of the features in the app are free as well. There's a small, small, you know, fee you can pay um, if you want some of the bonus features. I've found that the free app works just fine. Okay, free version. But here's what I did. In 2019, I downloaded this app, and it has you load and log in your different accounts. And it shows you a weekly report of every dollar you spend and where you spent it. And in 2019, I pulled that report up, and I saw that we had spent more that month on eating out than we were giving to Crossbridge, giving back to God. And that didn't sit right with me personally. It made me sick. And so Murs and I said, you know what? We are going to make, for us, generosity our number one line. We said, we're not going to live anywhere where our mortgage is higher than our giving. We're not going to drive anything where our, our uh, automobile costs more than our, uh, than our generosity. We're not going to eat out more than where our generosity is. That was, that was the sacrifice we decided to make. Okay? I'm not, not encouraging you. You have to decide on your own. Okay? But for us, I looked at this, and this app told us every dollar, and it just made me sick. So here's our one next step okay let's all get sick together okay i would love for all of you whether you're well off or whether you're really struggling download this app this Truebill app and in five years if we all get scammed we get scammed together okay well we're going down as a church no this is the number one money management app used universally um, but this app will tell you where you're spending your money, how you're spending your money. It will tell you your subscriptions that you need to cancel because you haven't used in four years. We found out last week we had two Amazon Prime accounts still going on from, from college because of the Truebill app. It just reminded us, of, hey, you've got this you know, $14.99 coming out every month, and we didn't know. We spent $400 the last three years on Amazon Prime for a second account. Okay? And so all that to say, okay, I would love for you to download this app. Hashtag not an ad, but it will help you manage your finances better so that you can spend smarter, you can save more intentionally, and you can give more generously. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for jokes, laughter, money, wealth, and for everything in between, God. I just pray for those who are struggling with their finances, that it is a stressor for them. And I pray, God, that they would take this next step The small next step of downloading an app and seeing the incredible things that can come from it. Understanding, God, that you are in control of everything we own and that you call us to manage that which we own better. In your name I pray, amen.